Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Coburg Council wants to create a thriving community, better services, and be more sustainable. These are the three pillars of the new four-year strategic plan it hopes to pass this Monday. For the past 10 months, Coburg Council has worked with its consultant, Capital Park, towards a strategic plan. It has sought public input, and the process is now wrapping up. In this interview, Coburg Mayor Lucas Cleveland will explain how the three pillars will work as guiding principles for Council. He will also review how the strategic plan will influence politicians as they face the numerous issues facing Coburg. I'm so pleased to have with me today. Coburg Mayor Lucas Cleveland, welcome back to Consider This Northumberland. Always a pleasure, Robert. Really excited to be doing this again today and uh, looking forward to some good questions and some good talk. This council has not had its own strategic plan for nine to ten months, as you have been working to create one. Now, a strategic plan is meant to be a guiding document for council and the actions it takes. What principles have guided council up until now? I think that's a great uh I think what's happened up until council is we've actually been working to build a cohesive team um, right from the get-go. Uh, I know myself, when I was running, the three things I, I stuck to were really clear. Uh, I wanted to make sure that at the end of my term, government was more accountable and transparent. I wanted to make sure that we operated more like teams. And the last thing I told everyone is that we're going to be making lots of changes. And in doing that, we're going to be making some mistakes along the way, because that's how you achieve progress is by constantly trying new ideas. So for me, the last month has been primarily focused on that team building, um, making sure that the staff know that they can trust this council, that this council is can trust one another, that we've been building that dynamic to make sure and sort of, you know, see how each council. I know I meet with my counselors uh, monthly, each and every one of them. Um, so when you ask about what is the dynamic or what sort of the guiding principles leading up, I've really been sort of learning the ropes as the mayor in this last year and taking a lot of guidance from my council, uh, learning from them, learning what their priorities are, trying to understand what sort of two or three things really motivate and drive them. Uh, I believe that as a leader, your job is not to do everything, but instead to inspire those that you work with to accomplish what they want. And so whether it's working with my deputy mayor, who's got a real um, uh, intensity about working to solve some of the housing issues and sort of working with her to understand how I, as the mayor, can create that opportunity for her. Uh, working with other councillors, learning from Councillor Mouton that she's really focused on the governance review and sort of making sure that she can can input her, her say on that aspect. Or, or Mr. Barber, um, working with him to understand how he wants to sort of work with developers and, and, and making it a more streamlined process to make sure that we're not wasting time and effort for the very institutions that want to come here and help us grow our community. So what, what's guiding our principles? I think the individual counselors and the relationship that they're building with me and with one another has really sort of guided the first year. And to be honest, I, I'm going to be doing a roadshow here, if you will, or a TED talk uh, coming up here at the end of November, really going into detail about this first year. Because while we may have not had sort of a strategic plan, what's pretty incredible is some of the work that's actually been done in this first year to get to where we are. And uh, I'm really looking forward to sort of communicating with the public about some of these huge milestones that we've already put behind us, even before we got the strategic plan out the door. It's not unusual that municipal governments create strategic plans, and many of your colleagues across Northumberland and Northumberland County have already put their strategic plans in place. Why has it taken so long for Coburg to get its strategic plan in place? I, I, I don't think it's taken a long. I'm just going to push back. We're actually bang on time for what we sort of wanted to see. We're maybe a month or two behind in terms of uh, some of the back and forth from the actual agency that took on this work. But 
I'm actually really impressed with the timing of this because it's coming into our first year and, and you're right um, in terms of maybe it could have been done a little earlier. But at the end of the day, we got elected in November. Uh, we put our government sort of on pause with the governance review and we had a budget process to get through. And by the time we did those two things, it was already in the new year. And so we got the strategic plan going right away. We've contracted out. We had to do the proper process to find them all. And we needed to make sure that it was done in time for the 2024 budget. That was the key marker. That was what we really wanted to have because it's hard to make financial decisions when you don't have that guidepost, when you don't have sort of the message and the intention of where you want to take this uh, organization, especially, I mean, dollars decide. And so we wanted to make sure our strategic uh, plan was in place pre-budget discussions. And we're really excited because it is. Let's talk about the plan itself. There are three pillars to the current draft of the strategic plan, thriving town, service excellence, sustainability. So let's explore those individually. The first one, thriving town. What does that mean? Well, I mean, I, we can go right to the actual strategic plan and look at some of the questions we should be asking ourselves to see if the decisions we're making are contributing to a thriving town, or we can speak to the exact um, sort of idea of it. So let's start with that. And I think when we talk about thriving towns, some of the key points we're looking at are community health and well-being. We're looking at economic prosperity. We're looking at housing development, residential growth. We're looking for a healthy community, both mind, physical, and in the environment. And we're looking for a proper waterfront planning implementation to sort of really complete the community. So I think those are some sort of key takeaways in terms of when you look at what a thriving town in our mind looks like. And I think the strategic questions right in the strategy guide are sort of those key markers, right? Like when we're looking at a budget decision or when staff prepare an idea for us, in order to see if it sort of fits in that thriving town, these are the questions we're asking. Does this foster community well-being? So I think that's a great sort of guiding principle. It's like, oh, are we going to spend money on transit? Well, does it foster community well-being? Check. So then that moves on to the next conversation. And I think these questions are really the key to the strategic plan is to, to use as a guidepost. So let's talk about that a bit then, because part of it is it, it talks about a flourishing community. Can you explain what that means? Well, when you talk about a flourishing community or a thriving community, I think it's the same idea. What we're talking about is a complete community that is focused on the priorities of this community. And I mean, we can see what those priorities are. But a thriving community is one that's a well-balanced community. It, it's a community that cares for its individuals in all spectrums. It's a thriving community that works with different agencies to ensure that we're increasing the quality of life for our community. It's uh, making sure that we're spending an appropriate amount on parks and recreation. It's There are so many things that come into making a thriving community, which is really why I'm a, I'm a big fan of the strategic plan, because it is expansive and it can sort of wrap its head around so many different ideas about what makes a thriving community. Now, there are many residents, especially in the east and the north end of Coburg, that will tell you that the town doesn't feel like it's flourishing. You can see on social media that people are afraid to go downtown to do business. Some people don't want to go out at night. Um, we are experiencing a, a rise in the number of petty crimes, bikes being stolen, minor theft. It has gotten to a point where the police are now doing foot patrols in specific neighborhoods and there's visibility strategies being implemented. And that's only a few of the concerns. How do you see this plank of a flourishing community or a thriving community being created by council as one of its goals in light of all of these things that are going on and how people feel? Well, Robert, I think we need to really step a sec back from that question because you're, the things you're describing are Canada-wide. It's not like Coburg is alone in the increase in homelessness. It's not like Coburg is alone in the drug epidemic. It's not like Coburg is alone in any of the issues you're talking about, rising crime, petty theft, people feeling unsafe in their communities. In fact, what's happening in Coburg has been happening in other communities across this country for 15 to 20 years. Coburg well, is finally sort of catching up. Now, but, I, I'm not but with saying all that due respect, No, but with all due respect, it can be happening elsewhere, but it's happening here, and you're the mayor, and this is things that are yeah. going on. So what I'm asking you is how does that fit into the strategic plan? Well, when we are looking at how to spend our money, sir, and when we are looking at a thriving community, it's going to fit into our plan where we start putting more money behind our police forces. 
when you start seeing the hiring of more constables, uh -huh. when you start seeing the enforcement of our bylaws that this council has stood up and continually reinforced. So you want to talk about a thriving community. It's both. It's first increasing our security, increasing our safety, while also increasing our social housing supports, while also working with the county to better care for our community, sir. But I need to point out that this issue that you're speaking of to the east, let's call it what it is, the people around the new encampment and their concern around safety, that might be new to that community, but it's not new to the communities around some of the houses that we have been closing due to health and safety concerns. And so the issues that this community is now dealing with are not new to Coburg either, sir. And that's what I mean by to say that, yes, there are new residents who are experiencing a host of these issues, but those residents are just simply the new residents that are seeing these problems versus some of the communities that have been dealing with these issues for upwards of five, six, and seven years that have now had a relief in these issues because these properties have been closed in their communities and have, unfortunately, some of the individuals have relocated to the encampment. Okay, I, I understand your point and and uh, I appreciate it. But I guess to, to to say that it's it's been around, therefore, um, that is okay. I guess what I'm saying to you is is um, what are, what how does the strategic plan begin to take action on these things? And you mentioned a couple of things earlier, but there are people who are struggling or feel like they've been left behind. And you're right, the encampments are a really good example or a vivid example of poverty and homelessness in our community. So where are the action items within the strategic plan that is going to lift these people up? Well, that's not the goal of a strategic plan, sir. Strategic plan isn't to lay out action items. That's not the purpose of a strategic plan. A strategic plan is an overarching vision from which we should be judging each and every decision we make through the lens of a strategic plan. Part of the problem, if I might be so frank, is when I looked at the previous strategic plans of previous councils, they were way too specific on the operational as aspects of governance. I think one of the issues and one of the things you're one of the things you're seeing from this council is a redefining and a step back in a rebuilding of what it means to be a government. Our job as councillors and as the mayor is not to get into the nitty gritty of operations. We have a 300 person staff here who's responsible for the operational decisions. Our job is to set policy. Our job is to set vision. Our job is to hold to account the staff that are then asked and tasked to complete. What this is, is a clear strategy, a strategic vision of what this council wants to see the staff understand and gear their work towards. So you're right, this doesn't have operational specifics because this is to be used when those questions about what operational specifics we should prioritize. And I think that's a big shift from past strategic plans. And it's one I'm really proud of because when I looked at the past strategic plan and I saw 128 goals and we completed what 13 of them, why, why were those given priority? Why were those uh, executed? Why did we ignore all the other ones? Well, now when we're setting out what priorities to tackle, we have some good, clear questions to ask. We know the three things that matter the most. And if the decision we're making aren't fixing one of those three items, if they're not contributing to our thriving town, if they're not contributing to towards sustainability, and if they're not contributing towards service excellence, why are we spending staff time, limited resource, and limited budget dollars on that priority? Because it's not in our strategic plan. Okay, so let, let me give you another example, a past example, but let's let's use it as an example of how the strategic plan might work then. So we had a sleeping cabin proposal, which would uh, fall within the purview of the pound to approve, and it was NICS. Now, is that not part of a, a mixture of housing option, which is part of your strategic plan? And how does it affect, fit into the de definition of the mixture of housing options? For all sure, we can talk about the Tiny Cabin Collective. The Tiny Cabin Collective in and of itself is not necessarily a bad idea, uh, Mr. Washburn. We can see other communities that have successfully implemented Tiny Cabin communities. I've also seen a lot of communities that have destroyed entire neighborhoods because of a Tiny Cabin Collective. And so what myself, I don't speak for my council when I say this, when I was making that decision, which we all know I was the deciding factor to not allow that to move forward, um, when I was weighing the positives and the negatives, what I determined was the successful 
sort of the one sort of underlying success is who's running the tiny cabin collective. And when you look at the ones that are successful, when you call the mayors of towns that have these success stories, and then you call the mayors of the towns that wish they had never, ever approved the project, the underlying, the only thing that matters is the people who are running the project. And when I looked, as I said, when I said and voted against this, when I looked at who is organizing this project, I could not trust their words because they were saying they were going to do what, follow all these rules, yet several members of the committee that was putting that forward were blatantly disregarding many other rules that we were asking them to follow. So how in one side are they going to break rules under this organization, but now that they're working with the tiny cabins, they're all of a sudden going to start doing everything by the book. I couldn't trust that. And so I couldn't subject this community with a clear conscience to an organization and to a group of people who I did not trust to successfully run this project. And I based that decision off other projects they have been failed to organize efficiently and have been taken off of. So again, I'm not adamantly against that housing option and I'm happy to have that. We are talking about it at different levels of government. But who runs that organization is really important. And more important, when I speak to the service providers, those at the county, the professionals that know what they're talking about, and I hear from them their concerns around some of the people organizing. And when I hear from them some of the concerns about this project and the loose ends that haven't been worked out, I have to listen to the professionals sometimes. I'd like to look at this notion of mixed housing. So housing starts continue to rise in Ontario. We know this. And yet there are incredible economic pressures on people with high interest rates, inflation. I mean, you know, just go gro grocery shopping or buy some gas or any other essentials and you, you know what's going on. Now, with this incredibly complex economic environment, how do you hope to achieve your goals of creating a mixture of housing options that will meet the needs of Coburg and the people who want to live here? Okay, so first of all, mixed housing options and Coburg. Oh, did that just cut out for you, sir? No, I'm fine. Okay, sorry. Yeah, mine just all went blank and then cut back in. So just double checking. Um, mixed housing options. So you keep referring to our strategic plan as being focused on mixed housing options. Yes. And the way we do that is by incentivizing our developers to come into our community and to look at different ways we can work with developers. It's one of my priorities here is to attract a new group of developers while also working with some of our older developers um, to make sure that we are creating that mixed use. What we're doing is we're seeing a changing of our, um, our planning. We're, we're working with our planning department to look for different rules, different changes, square footage, parking restrictions. The conversations we're having are very high level at this point because what we're doing is we're seeing a shift in our government priorities, both at the county level and at the lower level. And I think at the county level, this is where we need to start speaking about some of the real inventive and ingenious solutions that are coming down the pipeline. And unfortunately, because we're only a year in, a lot of the conversations and initiatives we've started within the last seven months are still within closed session whether that's of buying new land, whether that's new projects, because we're still in the early stages of a lot of these projects, things don't just change overnight. And, and Robert, what you're referring to is a complete lack of public housing between about 1985 and today. When we saw the percentage of housing and we look at, on average, in a community in Canada, 30% of our population are going to need some form of assistance to provide appropriate shelter over their head. And that's the whole gamut from the real high needs supportive housing to sort of, you know, people that might need a couple hundred dollars rent subsidy. But we're looking at 30% of any given population that needs supportive housing. And in reality, in Northumberland County and Ontario wide, we're sitting at between seven and 9%. There's a massive gap there between the house, social housing we have and the social housing we need. And so what we're working on is what we're working with the province, what we're working on, you can see at the federal level, these new grant programs are now starting to come out and the money is starting to show up. And so while I understand housing advocates have been waiting for 15 to 20 years for this kind of a development, the rubber's finally hitting the road in a sense. And what you're seeing now is a young county council full of uh, ambitious uh, up-and-comers, really sort of pushing the envelope and pushing the ideas. 
And what you're seeing is an incredible uh, adoption of this with the staff at county council. And we are looking at insane, um, inventive, creative projects that are really outside of the box. And those take a lot of time because we don't have a, a map to do them that way because they're new, they're inventive, and they're kind of different. And so we're really challenging the staff at the county to hit some of these points. But I think what's really important, Robert, is that when we talk about housing, we're talking about 20, 15 to 20 different styles of housing. We need rent, rent geared to income. Like, no, And how I, do we bring them in? If I'm a senior trying to stay in my own home and be able to afford it, or if I'm a young person trying to find an apartment to live in, you're asking us to wait a little bit longer how can you ask people to wait any longer? Oh, I'm not asking people to wait. I, I'm one of the people who also can't afford to live in this community, sir. Uh, I'm a renter. I, I don't own property in this community. I'm very well aware as a single dad, the cost of rent. I'm in about the 84 percentile of rental of income to rent. So I'm in that danger zone myself. And I'm the mayor of this community and I own a business. So I'm part and parcel of the, the community you're talking about, sir. So I'm not asking myself to wait. What I'm saying is that we are now just seeing the federal and the provincial government take serious measures and put actual money behind these projects. So it's not that I'm asking people to wait. I'm saying, hey, the money showed up and now we're going after the money. And I, I can't go back and fix the past 30 years. I can't go back and even fix the last five. I've been in office a year now. And in this last year, I can tell you our only one of my only priorities is getting more housing built in Coburg. And I, I want to point out we've been successful in that. Between January and July of this year, we had a 320% increase in housing starts in just the first six months of this year compared to 2022. And I think it was a 480% increase compared to 2021. So we're seeing massive changes. We're hiring in our planning department, in our engineering department to facilitate the growth. We've chalked an incredible deal with our developers to front end uh, infrastructure that is needed. Because if we hadn't have done that, we would have waited an additional five or six years to build up a DC reserve. So you're asking about what we're doing. And I'm, I'm, I'm laying out very specific examples of how this government within its first year has had to think outside the box to speed up this process. Because you're right, Robert, it's incredible, the current situation of housing. And we are, as many economists say, are on the tip of a bubble. And so I'm not asking anyone to, to, to wait. What I'm doing is I'm being very clear and saying, we hear you, we know what's up, and we are working diligently and effectively as fast as we can within a government. And we're even modifying the government to be able to work faster. Of those new housing starts, how many are going to be affordable? Oh, sir, you know very well that, that that's going to be all of our, our housing starts are primarily, sorry, as we increase the units in the market, all housing will come down. This is the purpose of, you see all the different governments saying, build more, build more, build more. Because the reality is, is 85% of our affordable housing costs are borne by Northumberland taxpayers. We have to be very clear that for more deeply affordable, when we talk about more subsidized rent, the way we fund that in this county is through our own tax dollars. And remember, sir, we have a less than 100,000 residents covering 2,000 square kilometers. We have a budget less than the city of Peterborough for a region that's like 180 times the size. And so when you look at that mathematics, we have to understand that we're not going to be able to afford to build 150, 250, 350 affordable units, because even if we got them built, we don't have the budget to maintain or to operate them. And so our balance as we build out has to be both on uh, affordable housing, and we are working on that, as I've explained at the county level, in a very balanced and appropriate financially fiscal way, while also encouraging a massive increase in housing on the market, thereby creating a pressure downwards on pricing. If there are more houses available in the community, if there are more rental units available in the community, the market will drive those prices into a better place for us. Let's get back to the strategic plan. So the second pillar is service excellence. What does that yes. mean? Oh, it's my favorite. Um, it's what I uh, have done for the last 25, 30 years of my life. 
It's focusing on quality service. It's focusing this government and this staff on engaged and connected communication with our constituents. It's about looking for accountability in our governance, both of the elected officials and of our uh, executive team members. It's looking for better communications. And I, I can't, I continue to stress that. Service excellence means better communications. We fundamentally need to put more money into communications in this community. I continue to say that every dollar we spend in communications is going to save us 10 to 15 labor dollars. We are wasting so much time answering the same question over and over and over again. Instead of having a, a communication that actually reaches our community. And I mean, I won't get into it, but when we've lost our local papers, there has never been more of a time that this town should be focusing on its communication. And most importantly, which is something I'm really proud of, is service excellence means we've become an employer of choice. And I think we've done that in just this last year. When we look at our director's team, and I don't believe we have a single director over the age of 50, maybe our fire chief, and he's going to be very upset that I pointed out that he's the oldest of our director's team, but we have one of the most, the youngest director's team for a town our size, and we are becoming an employer of choice. We are seeing those resumes really start to come in when a position is open because we are creating that service excellence in this organization. The third pillar is sustainability. Now, sustainability is a real buzzword, but what does it mean here? Ah, this that's a loaded question, Robert, because it depends who you talk to that, that what does sustainability mean? I think if you ask every single one of the counselors around the table, they too would have a slightly different version of what sustainability is. When I've spoken to uh, Sustainability Coburg, when I've spoken to um, some of the Coburg Taxpayers Association, when you sort of cross the political realm in this community and you, and you talk to all the different interest groups, I think sustainability is one of the few things that runs across them. Because sustainability is an all-encompassing sort of concept where we balance financial, infrastructure, and environmental concerns in a way that protects the quality of life for future generations. So financial sustainability is really important because if we're not planning out for the next 10 or 15 years, we're going to go bankrupt and then we're going to be forced into decisions um, that we don't want to face. Infrastructure sustainability is really important. When we're building infrastructure, are we building it for five or 10 years or are we investing it for 50 to 100 years? Because financial sustainability would say cheaper, but when you're looking at sustainability in a big picture, perhaps spending a little more in the short term to have that infrastructure last longer. And most importantly, it all wraps back into environmental sustainability, because the reality is, is if we're not protecting our environment, if we're not doing well for our environment, then it doesn't matter how much financial sustainability and infrastructure we have, because at the end of the day, our planet's not going to be habitable. <laughs> so I think part and parcel of sustainability is really showing the interconnectedness of our decisions. And I think this pillar is really important because while we can all sort of point to what a thriving town looks like, and we can point to what service excellence looks like, sustainability is the interwoven thread of all of these decisions, because it doesn't matter if we create a thriving town that goes bankrupt in six months. It doesn't matter if our service excellence is incredible, but we're burning the earth and not making any environmentally appropriate decisions. And I think the three of these pillars can really come together in that sustainability piece because it's what allows us to really step back and go, hold on, is this decision the right now decision or is this the right decision for the long term? And that's key, especially when we're making uh, difficult decisions, either financially, infrastructure-wise, or policy-wise. It's really important to sort of get that bird's eye view. And I think sustainability forces you into a bird's eye view and gets you out of the sort of the day-to-day -day emails of people trying to convince you one way or another, because oftentimes our residents aren't always focused on the long term. They're writing to you because they have a problem in the right now. And our job as leaders and our job on the council is not necessarily, yes, to deal with the right now, but more importantly, to prepare our community for the future. In this part of the strategic plan, it talks about heritage, a vibrant and appealing destination. It talks about the harbor and the waterfront. The strategic plan mentions the role of the harbor, and the harbor is in need of millions of dollars worth of work. 
How is this aspect of the plan going to unfold? Can you kind of map it out for us so we can see how it's going to roll forward? Well, we've already taken our first steps. So we are, I believe, in phase one already of the repair. We've already dedicated several million dollars to sort of the bare minimum to maintain the um, harbor as best can. Uh, Robert, for me, this is one of my sort of what I learned when I spoke to a lot of mayors in my first sort of three months. I, I, I literally so looked for about 10 to 20 mayors that I was really um, enamored by, mayors who I saw were very successful. And I asked them sort of some questions. And one thing that I found really remarkable across all of the mayors I spoke to is what they told me is that in year one, pick three or four things and plant seeds and plant really inspirational seeds. Plant projects that you that no one else has been able to accomplish that you think you may have the special um, skill set or the required uh, ability to do. And that harbor project was one of those for me. I, I'm not saying I'm going to be able to sort of solve that problem, but that's a priority for me. And one of the ways that I've sort of been pushing that forward is through the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Initiative. It was uh, something my predecessor, Mr. Henderson, had just entered into in his last year uh, on uh, as mayor. And it was a file that I kind of picked up and ran with. Our MP, Philip Lawrence, is actually the uh, opposition on the Great Lake St. Lawrence at the federal level. And he's working on the seaways, and he's actually on that file. And so I saw an opportunity here to sort of tie in locally to something that our MP is doing on a federal level. And so I've, I've continued that. And, and in fact, what I've done is I've become the regional chair for our area on the Great Lakes uh, St. Lawrence Freeway. And the reason is, is we've seen an unprecedented funding model come forward. Biden put almost $2 billion forward on this project. We've seen a commitment from our federal government, I believe $650 million. We're asking for more. And part of that is about building the Great Lakes and protecting this incredible resource we have. People don't know the billions and billions of dollars of revenue that are done on the Great Lakes. We are seeing now tourism start up. We're starting to see cruise lines actually navigating the Great Lakes. And there's a massive pot of money at both the federal and provincial level to protect our Great Lake Basin. And so for me, part and parcel of that is protecting our harbor because we're one of the few deep water harbors on the Great Lakes. So whether we're looking at future deep mining um, for nuclear waste that's possibly directly north of us, whether you're looking at the cruise lines who be coming, whether you're looking at the increase in industry, this makes sense in so many ways. So for me, the way I'm going to be tackling this is using that Great Lakes St. Lawrence and really focusing my effort on hopefully when these grants start to come up, being in that position and being in the um, with the connections that we need to ensure some of the grants towards this project can come to Coburg. Because you're right, we're looking somewhere in the 30 to $40 million to repair that. And, and that's not money that anyone in Northumberland can can come up with. It's not something we can go to the province and ask for an entirety. This has to be a multi-government-led uh, project. And so what you're seeing from me is I'm focused on that. And, and to be honest, the deputy mayor has also been very instrumental in helping me on this, on events at the Hill where we needed to go and petition um, MPs about this cause. I was unable to attend. The deputy mayor stepped in straight to Ottawa, and she and she was there doing the work she could do and making the contact she can make at the federal level. So this is a council project for sure, and I've been very supported by council in this in this initiative. So I would say that's our best bet to, to look for funding for that, um, because there is no pot of money locally where we're going to find $40 million to fix an aging uh, structure. Towards the end of the strategic plan, there is an entire page of plans and policies that is quite long and impressive. It seems like there are so many balls in the air. How is this council going to integrate all those various reports and policies into a cohesive path going forward within the context of the strategic plan? It's interesting. So when you talk about a cohesive plan, I'm going to ask, what do you mean by that? When you're saying a cohesive plan, like a vision that we're trying to achieve, or what is that cohesive plan you're looking for? Well, I guess when I look at that last page, I want to better understand how all of this is going to come together and, and be sort of one thing that moves forward. How do you put all the pieces together? I Fair enough. I think you put all the, Robert, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And I think that's the way we're going to be approaching this. Um, we are still looking to finish our strategic plan. 
we need that. We've got some great feedback from the public on it. We're, we're starting to hear from different um, special interest groups about where we're lacking, where we need more focus. You're going to see sort of a wrap up and a presentation of the strategic plan. Now, when you're talking about the strategic planning context, the strategic plan was the first step of wrapping this all into a plan. So when we look at our consultants, our consultants have actually reviewed all of these plans. And that's what we pay the money for our, our, our specialists to do, is to do exactly what you spoke to, to sort of put the pieces together in a document that is easy and accessible to read. When people um, sort of criticize council, past councils for hiring consultants, I think this is an appropriate time to talk about the need for consultants. And I think this is an appropriate time to talk about why we still need to spend money on consultants. We hear on the forums, on social media, what, we have 300 staff, why can't staff do it? Well, because staff are the ones who actually created all these documents, all those community service, planning and development, public works, and staff have a really great tunnel focus on their department because that's what we pay them to do, to be experts on their stuff. The reason sometimes you need that consultant to come in, because the consultant creates a third party vision and they are slightly removed from the individual departments of community service, fire, legislative services. And you need that sort of, as we talked about, bird's eye view to sort of look at all of them and come up with it. And I think what I really want to sort of stress is that this council was unanimous during a strategic planning session, that we wanted a strategic plan that was actually understood, that was actually used, so that in those council meetings, we have actual questions to ask of ourselves and of our staff, so that we're not making decisions in a void. And so what you're seeing here is all of these strategic planning content coming together in three clear, specific pillars. And I think it's not saying that we can't modify. It's not saying that these individual plans aren't important. When we are discussing stormwater, we're going to go into the technical and engineering guidelines for stormwater management and be very specific, but not council, because council shouldn't be in the operations of this organization. Council's job is to set policy for the experts and for the staff who were hired to do a job. And so just to take a step back and sort of answer the original question, sir, how are we going to do it? Well, we're going to do it by using our strategic plan day in and day out to judge the decisions we're making, to, to decide and to ask staff to come forward with ideas and suggestions at budget time that align with our strategic plan. When the staff run into issues at their job that prevent them from service excellence, I want them to be bringing those issues to council because that's the expectation. And I think what you're going to see is the next step of this, once we've ratified the strategic plan, will be our CAO meeting individually with the directors of each department and asking them, how are they going to build a thriving town? How are they going to work towards service excellence? And how are they focusing on sustainability, not just in the next one year, but over the term of this council? That's where we're gonna get those KPIs. That's where we're going to get the next step of this, is actually taking this strategic plan and asking the staff to tell us how they're going to do this. So for our listeners, a KPI is a key performance indicator that measures the performance of individuals under in an organization. Correct. Uh, you were saying earlier, you made a good point. You said dollars make decisions. So everything costs money. Have you costed out this strategic plan? How is this going to impact taxes? Because there's nothing in there that says whether, you know, how are you going to manage taxes going up, going down? Can you fill us in? Well, for sure. I mean, when we, I can tell you about my personal theory on uh, taxation and, 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 and planning, and we can get to that. But again, I think we just need to point out that, Robert, what you're asking again is, what are the specific decisions that are going to be made? And how does the strategic plan cost out? Well, again, I, I don't think a strategic plan is meant to tell us what should it should and shouldn't cost. A strategic plan is sort of the horizon with which we're headed to. The strategic plan is the goal setting. And so the fiscal responsibility is going to fall back onto council to make fiscally responsible decisions while also making them in the, the context of these three priorities. Now, when you look at talk to me about what 
as an individual and as a business person and as someone who's new to the role of mayor after a year, what my goal would be, well, I'm very clear. Um, I'm okay as an individual, as the mayor, increasing taxes or lowering taxes based on what the community wants. My whole point right from last budget season to today is let's have a clear understanding of what that means. Because when we want more services, that costs more money. And therefore, we have to raise taxes to increase the service level. Similarly, if people want to lower taxes, that can always be accomplished. But we have to start deciding what we're not going to do as a community to afford the lowering taxes. And I always ask the, the, the public, and I think this is a great question, when they say, Mr. Mayor, our taxes are so high, I said, we can fix that. What are the four most important things you think about Coburg? And then they tell you, and I say, okay, now pick two that you want to get rid of. Because the reality is, is to lower taxes, we're going to have to either lay off staff, we're going to have to cut programs, we're going to have to change because inflationary pressures are driving costs of doing the same business up and up and up every year. We're still seeing three to 4% inflation, which means at the standard level of service, what we're currently doing, inclusive of raises that are based on unions, we're going to see a 4% raise in taxes. So if we don't want to see the inflationary raise in taxes, okay, what are we going to give up as a community? So I would love to see after this year, a three-year budget process. We're doing it at the county, and I've already sort of been having those very preliminary conversations with council and with staff. I think we have a new treasurer, Adam Giddings, we're really excited about it. I, I don't think it's a fair that in his first budget season, we asked him to do a three-year budget cycle. Uh, I think we should sort of work with him to get through the very first, the last, his first year of a budget, as well as this council's sort of first budget with a strategic plan guiding it. And then my hope is that at the end, uh, sorry, in sort of our third budget, we would do a two or a three-year budget projection so that we can start budgeting in a long window. And I think that's really important. Um, I don't like the current process where every single year it's kind of a um, everyone puts everything they want up on the table and then we're trying to decide what is and wasn't is what isn't appropriate in year this year. And it's sort of in a solitary viewpoint. I think when we're budgeting, what we need to do is give our staff a two or a three year window to spread out the cost across the corporation. So if we were to set a guideline to staff and say, OK, we only want to see a 3% operational increase and a 2% cap increase. Well, now in year one, well, now everyone's fighting the departments to get their 3%. That's not a holistic approach to an organization. Instead, if we were to tell our organization that, hey, we'd like to see a 3% increase the next three years with a 2% cap every year, well, now as an organization, you can do a little bit of trading. Okay, okay. legislative services, you're going to do a 4%. I, I, under, I understand, and, and I appreciate you going into such detail ar around how a budget's being created. I, I think I, what I was looking for more is just this idea of costing out particular things, and, and you've been pretty clear on how that works. What I what I wanted to move to, though, and, and I think this is important, and something you've referred to a couple of times is public consultation. There's been a lot of public consultation. In fact, you've done some more just recently. Um, what are you hearing from the public consultations? You said earlier you, you came into 100 emails this morning. So what are people telling you about the strategic plan? Well, Robert, I think it's important to first talk about public engagement as a whole. Because sometimes when we talk about public engagement, we have a misnomer of, oh, everyone's writing and everyone's sending emails. There are two major set things that have come out sort of our, our public engagement of the last late, little bit. One is access to housing, which we've already sort of brushed across, talked about today. Uh, I think that's very much on everyone's mind. I know it's on mine as a renter. I know it's on my, uh, my business partners. I know it's on all of my friends' minds, especially when we're seeing interest rates. So access to housing is number one, I would say. The second thing is the sustainability. I would say we are fortunate in this community. Well, hold on, before I get into that, and I would say the third thing is, of course, the encampment. Those are the three things all I hear about. Uh, those are the three things that sort of occupy 95, 98% of our time would be sort of those three interest groups. And I, I think it's important when we talk about community feedback, because we are blessed in this community to have such a diverse group of advocacy work being done in this community. Um, 
when I look at, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Gigi or Sustainability Covert, and I look at some of the incredible projects the uh, power generation companies have done and the work that they've done, they're great and they do incredible work around here. But oftentimes what we're seeing are the advocacy groups skewing some of the results in the public engagement. And that's okay. That's, I mean, if you're the ones taking the time to be engaged, then you're going to have a larger say at the table and that's just part and parcel. But when we look at say the strategic plan report back, well, the reality is we only had 64 people fill out the survey. that doesn't give a fulsome picture of what the community actually believes as the strategic plans and the strategic realities. It's it's hard when you have 322 visitors to the site, but only 64 engaged with the actual survey. Does 64 people's opinion show the actual fulsome opinion of what the community wants? Um, And I think it needs to be sort of understood that while we all want government to do the best job they can government is always trying to listen to the people we are continually working to to draw out the feedback from the public and unfortunately a reality of modern day society is that people often only give the response to the government when it personally affects them we can see that as even last night's public engagement around short-term rentals the people that showed up on mass to the meeting were those that are um, pro short-term rentals, people whose business depends on short-term rentals. So of course they're going to show up and they're going to give their opinion because it's very, um, I would say, worrisome to individuals who've invested money in short-term rentals that we're looking to regulate. But the reality is, is we didn't hear a lot from the neighbors of people who live in short-term rentals. And that's part and parcel of a dilemma that we face in our current modern society. We don't have a central voice coming from the local media. We have very polarizing social media posts drawing people to the extremes. And instead of actually getting engaged with the government that can make the appropriate changes, they keep sort of repeating the same uh, complaints in an echo chamber on the extremes. And I think what's happening is you're getting a lot of people like myself, like the councillors, like my deputy mayor in the middle going, hey, guys, come to the middle. Let's sit around the table and let's actually make some changes. Let's do some work. Let's actually fix the housing continuum. Let's, you know, oh, the shelter system isn't working appropriately. Okay, housing advocates, come to the middle and let's work on the shelter system. But that requires compromise. That requires an abandonment of uh, extreme ideals. And it requires people to start building trust across the aisle, meaning people who maybe identify slightly right or people who identify slightly left are willing to compromise for the greater good. And unfortunately, in today's current climate, whether we're talking about the encampment, whether we're talking about housing, whether we're talking about taxation, you name the governance review. For some reason, when we're talking about local governance review, People are picking political lines along the NDP and the Conservatives. This is municipal governance, folks. We're not supposed to be drawing lines along political parties. What we're supposed to be doing is working together for the betterment of this community. And that requires all of us, those to the right, those to the left, to come together and work at building trust and work at actual compromise. And I think that's really important because when you say, what is the community focused on? They keep complaining about access to housing. They keep complaining about sustainability and they keep complaining about the encampment. But the people in the middle who are ready to do the work are being isolated because they're in the middle, because they understand that it's not an all or nothing game. It's yes, the shelter system isn't very good and needs some work and we need to start doing better. And it's also not okay to just encamp on property that isn't yours. And how are we supposed to get funding and fix the system if all of the advocates about housing fixes are over there supporting the encampment and not working with the system that needs the improvement? And and I guess that's sort of the compromise. So when you ask about what have we been hearing for the community, I'm hearing a lot of complaining and I'm hearing a lot of frustrations and I'm hearing a lot of fear. And I I, I acknowledge all of it. And as someone who's literally in the middle, who has run for the NDP in Alberta, who has um, worked with the Conservatives in Ontario, 
who's constantly trying to move our community in the right direction, I don't have a political allegiance. My political allegiance is to this town. And I think what we need to do is start creating a communication style and an inclusiveness in the middle where advocates on both sides of the extreme start walking away from the extremes to the center where we can actually make a difference, be it housing, be it sustainability, be it fixing our social services. When is the document coming to council for final approval? I believe it's November 6th. I'm just sort of pulling that. Yeah, I'm just looking at my calendar here. So yeah, it's November 6th. We'll be seeing that finalization uh, at the council. At the council. Your Worship, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Robert, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the great questions today. That was Lucas Cleveland, Mayor of Coburg. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.